Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And I'm Johnny Herbert. And welcome to Lift the Lids, the podcast that takes you for a weekly spin around the wonderful world of Formula One. Johnny, I've been around Formula One all my life. You've been around maybe a tad longer than me. You do this every time we chat together, but sadly, you're right. I've been <laughs> around motorsport for about 38 years, 10, 11 years in Formula One. Raced against the likes teammates, actually, to Michael Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen, Alex Analdi, and the list goes on. But I was also there right at the beginning of Lewis Hamilton's career. And then, obviously, those seven world championships that he was able to win. And of course, we've got Max Verstappen, one of the youngsters coming into play. That uh, is an exciting one for me to be watching on the track. That's for sure. I get so, so excited, Billy. Yeah, I mean, you've seen some big names and raced against them. That's for sure. I mean, I guess my I'm more familiar with the young guns in Formula 1, Johnny. So teammates with George Russell in karting, raced against Lando Norris, Yuki Tsunoda, a lot of the younger drivers on the grid now Oscar Piastri for this season so I think it's fair to say we've got a little bit of knowledge about the whole entire grid and that's really I guess what we're hoping to bring to this podcast we've got unique perspectives we've raced against some of the up-and-coming drivers and the best drivers in the sports history yeah definitely so and we want your input as well down the line as we sort of go deeper into the season and I think it's important to have you you guys and girls on board because I think it's great that the young generation is getting more and more involved I think what Formula One have, have done is brilliant for the sport. The Netflix effect is is another positive thing. But what's happening on track over the last couple of years has been brilliant. Okay, you could argue it was a little bit one way last season with Max, but uh, the chances this season, I think, are a little bit stronger, I hope, from someone like the likes of Ferrari, which we'll chat about soon, who can maybe challenge Red Bull and Max. Yeah, it's definitely got all uh, all the ingredients for a good season. I think it's important, Johnny. Obviously, this is our first ever episode. You know, we're new to this whole podcast game. And uh, some people might not know our stories about how we met. Maybe we'll have a little chat about, you know, how we were first introduced. I mean, 
unfortunately it came around a difficult time for me my first introduction to you personally it was around my accident and uh yeah you were one of the first people to come and see me in hospital and uh digress about your own incident and how you managed to bounce back from it and inspiring me to get back into the motorsport world that we both love yeah nice to hear that inspired you back billy brilliant but yes you're right you know when you had that awful crash uh, at donington park of course it reminded me of my crash i had way back in 1988 at brands hatch and there are similarities because of the damage i did to my ankles but of course to your to your legs and I thought I, I knew how important it was to be there for someone who's gone through a bit of a traumatic experience like yourself, like I did. I had the likes of Martin Donnelly, Perry McCarthy, Damon Hill visiting me and or phoning, phoning me up when I was in hospital. So, so I knew how important it was. And it was a, it was a pleasure to meet you. But of course, mum and dad as well. That was fantastic. And uh, it's been great that we've been able to keep in, keep in touch as well with your journey from from the racing cockpit to obviously being a being a TV pundit as well. Yeah, so it's a weird perspective, isn't it, as drivers, then making that transition from, you know, being behind the wheel yourself and being at one with a race car to seeing other drivers, the new talent, prop up and emerge themselves behind the wheel and having to talk about it from an outside perspective. Did you find that a little bit tricky when you first got into that pundit role? I enjoyed it. Um, why did I enjoy it, Billy? It's because I try to put myself in the cockpit, in their helmet, when there was maybe a bit of a tricky incident that had happened on track. And then try and work out, was it right? Was it wrong? Could it have been avoided? Could it have not been avoided? So it's just trying to work out, because we know how cunning we can be as racing drivers. And there are times that comments are made by drivers, and you go, no, 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 no. You knew exactly what was what was going on, and I think that's the interesting part from from me uh, being an ex driver is the the skill the skill is still exactly the same as it was when I did it, when you did it, and all the drivers and world champions and the incidents that we've had in Formula One over the the decades. So it hasn't changed, as I said, but it's important. I think sometimes you try and explain. Not everybody's going to agree, but I think being I've got a slight advantage of being in the cockpit of a Formula One. I know exactly what situations you get yourself in and how you try and either get out of it or there are those situations where you can't and then a mistake is made by maybe you or maybe a fellow fellow driver. So I've enjoyed that side of it, Billy. Yeah, I think that's what this podcast is all going to be about, Johnny, is sort of relaying those perspectives yeah. that we've both got as drivers, kind of giving our perspective on how the world of Formula One works and, you know, those incidents that might be controversial. Hopefully we can give our viewpoints on it and, you know, inform some people at home. So I just thought it's worth mentioning as well in the first episode. So uh, just to let you guys know at home that are listening that we're, the plan is we're going to be with you weekly. So we're going to be discussing all the hottest topics in Formula One currently that are going on. Plus, we'll also be taking questions from you at home. And I think that's going to be super exciting and fun. Like you say, there's a new generation of Formula One fan out there through Netflix Drive to Survive. I know plenty of my mates, I don't know about you, Johnny, but a lot of people from my generation, people I went to school with that had no interest when I was racing myself. Now it's on Netflix. They all love Formula One. So... You know, there's lots of new fans out there that are willing and wanting to know more about the sport. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's where we come into playing and give you a, a different perspective. Yeah, um, my friends are my age, so they've been around. <laughs> do they watch Netflix? They do, because the one thing that we've got the advantage of, Billy, is being able to explain what happens in the bubble in that paddock. 
where the majority of people, race fans, never, ever get that chance. So Netflix has been able to sort of show what goes on within that sort of bubble that's very hard to get into. And then hopefully with this podcast, we're able to give you a little bit more of a sort of, you know, what is it like and what's going on in the paddock over a Grand Prix weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really fun. So, I mean, this week's topics, we're we're currently pre-season, so we're building into the first race of the season, Bahrain. Uh, I think I'll start us off, Johnny. It's just talking in general about pre-season. Obviously, we've both watched it. What were your kind of takeaways from it, the winners and losers of pre-season testing? And uh, yeah, what do you kind of make of the whole shift to now a three days pre-season testing and we're straight into the season? I don't, I've never liked it <laughs> when all the driving was restricted from the drivers. Why? Because I always wanted to be in the cockpit as much as I possibly can. I understand the technology has changed from the simulators and the wind tunnels, CFD, etc. Uh, that the tools that the, the teams have nowadays. But I've always thought the, the driver's influence on the development of the car and the setup of the car was a fun side from my, from my personal side of being a driver. But also a relationship you had with the engineer discussing what the car was doing or what it wasn't doing and how you maybe were going to try and fix that. But of course, now it's already done before the drivers get to get to a circuit. And if there is a problem, like we saw in testing, maybe with Mercedes-Benz, you remember on that uh, second day, I think, was it, where they had the problem and they sort of went deep into the evening to try and sort it out. All the days would have been gone, gone back to Brackley and they would have been trying to to sort that out. So it's it's I I wish there was this chart, not just what happens in Abu Dhabi at the end of the season, that drivers had a chart. I got noticed when I was coming through the ranks when I was doing Formula Three, winning the British Formula Three Championship, because I did a couple of tests for Benetton and Lotus, that suddenly I put myself uh, on everybody's on everybody's lips. But if I'd never get in the chance to get in the car, no one knows what a driver is able to do until they're thrust into a very small window of testing, which I do find a bit frustrating, but but that's what it is at the moment. It's a bit tougher for the drivers in some respect because they've got to get comfortable with the car in a very short space of time. But Red Bull looks strong again. Didn't seem to lose that much after the uh, penalties that they got last year, the wind tunnel penalties that they, they uh, received. Didn't seem to affect them at all. So they've come out, out of the blocks very very strong once again yeah it seemed to have taken um finish from last season super yeah. strong and they just carried that form into pre-season testing what was a uh, pre-season testing like for you as a driver back in your day johnny like obviously like you say, it was, there was less restrictions on testing <laughs> <laughs> but did you enjoy it as a driver were you like oh, i'm fed up of you know like you said just now you just said you love being in the car but i'm sure you know lots of long runs about your neck was killing you at the end of some of those days pre-season and there were moments where you thought, oh, I just want to get racing now. Yeah, but but I, d- I knew how important my job was. So, and I always had a sort of, a, I, I think, you know, a worth effort, ethic that when I got in an opportunity to get in the car, I would do my, you know, my best to try and give the best information uh, I could to my engineer and to the team at the end of the day. So, but that was when I said we did probably 25, 30 days of testing during a, during a season. You know, we used to sort of sometimes be in Australia for the first race, Tuesday after Australia, we'd be at Silverstone for probably two or three days. And that used to sort of happen all, you know, all the way through a, through a season. So I was fortunate, I think, I was in that era where testing, being in the car on track was, was a big part of Formula 1. 
the ultimate professional, it sounds like, as always, mate. Try to be. Try to be. <laughs> Didn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be. Any of the other teams catching your eye, Johnny? Obviously, like you say, it's pre-season, so do you think there'll be much sandbagging going on, people holding stuff back like there usually is? Yeah, what do you think, Billy? Yeah, I think so. But I, I think Ferrari, <laughs> we Billy... We both know that's the yeah, case. Yeah, that's the case. Ferrari didn't look too bad. I know there was talk a little bit about they were porpoising, the Mercedes was porpoising, which we'll come to in a minute. But of course, these cars have a small window. And if you do go too low, for example, that porpoising effect will come into play. So you've got to be able to fine-tune that. And they will be testing various setups over those three days to try and find a way of running as low as they can possibly go and especially to try and get as much downforce as they can but of course we've got to remember there's been changes from last year it's 15 millimeters higher so it's about two kilograms lighter uh, the car itself but those 15 millimeters are in the throat of the diffuser so basically where you've got the plank running down the middle to the left and the right hand side as it the air flows underneath that gap has got bigger but as we know, Billy, these teams are always able to get back that sort of loss that they probably first initially felt. And then by the time they get to the end of that test, they're sort of pretty much on top of it. But Ferrari didn't look too bad. I don't know if they're quite as quick when it comes down to a race situation. Sam Baggin, you already mentioned, Billy, I think is is going to be it's going to be something they're going to be playing on. But uh as we saw last year, the car is normally, the Ferrari, very good in a race situation. And hopefully, Charles Leclerc, especially Carlos, Carlos will be still trying to get his comfort uh, as, as good as he can to be a stronger teammate towards Charles Leclerc. But we don't want to see Charles Leclerc make those mistakes we saw last year. That is going to be a fundamental issue that he's got to, got to stop doing because Lewis doesn't do it very often and Max does it very, very rarely. Yeah, both of those guys, like you just said there, they hardly ever make a mistake. I just want to give a, a quick mention to Sergio Perez, who actually ended up pre-season testing fastest. And we heard him like talking a little bit after pre-season that he felt like he'd got a better balance of the car. He was talking about the differences that he feels as a driver, how he likes a car set up compared to how Max likes it set up. Max likes a really pointy front end and he can deal with a more unstable rear end. And like just as drivers, I think it's important to maybe explain that what, what what do you prefer as a driver, Johnny? What do you like in a car? Well, I, all I do remember, Billy, is before I had my accident, I liked a sharp front-ended car. So when I turned that steering wheel, it darted in towards the corner. But I never felt the rear end was ever loose on me. I always felt completely comfortable with that. It was very different after the accident for various reasons with the damage I did to my feet. But the likes of Michael Schumacher liked a pointed front-ended car. Mika Hakkinen liked a front sharp-ended car. Nigel Mansell wanted a super sharp front-ended car, and he achieved that by actually making the steering wheel even smaller. So when he did his input on the steering wheel, he was a quicker response. So that definitely seems to be the quickest way of getting any race car. So when I talk about my sharp front end, that goes even back to Formula 3 and even F2 or Formula 3000 as it, as it was for me. So a sharp end is something, it's a comfort factor that these special ones are always able to achieve a, a, a car that will be fast but secondly they will be able to control that then you throw that over to someone like Sergio Sergio doesn't like that sh that sharp front end uh, I think Alex Albon actually mentioned it as well when he was teammates just a couple of days ago I was reading where very very similar comments but with Sergio 
the quickest way is going to be with that sharp end. When the car is balanced for him, we can see that he can challenge Max, but it doesn't happen every single weekend. Maybe it's going to happen two or three times a year. You don't win a world championship by only being sort of comfortable two, 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 three times a year. And then when it's Max having a bad day, he's probably second anyway. So that, that's the, the special, the special ones have that sort of ability to control that sort of sharp front end and actually then get the best out of the car. That's what the engineers find as well, that in the simulators, sharp front end is the quickest way around. So what you're trying to say there, Johnny, is that because you could handle a sharp front end like all these superstar drivers, that you're the top dog back in your day and uh, back in you're day. one of the special ones, as you were calling them. Was. Was. Well, a little bit before my time anyway, mate. Oh, again, <laughs> stop having a dig. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. You set me up for that one. Um, <laughs> just to like talk to the people at home when we're kind of using our driver terminology talking about you know sharp front end what does that mean it basically like johnny was saying there means that when you turn the steering wheel if you've got a sharp end front end of a car it means that it's very reactive you get a lot from your inputs that you put in you're not waiting for the front of the car to sort of turn into the corner you don't have that sort of delayed effect and uh like you say johnny it's important for a driver that some drivers like that. Some people can handle that. And some drivers prefer, you know, to settle it down a bit more so they can be a bit more smooth with the wheel and kind of, it, it, it just changes person to person. But like you say, most of the, the special ones, mate, as you put it, they like that sharp front end, don't they? Yeah, they do. As you know, you know, from your days of racing, you know, being comfortable with the car is one thing, but having that extra little bit of speed, you know, it's a big challenge for a driver. Doesn't matter if it's Formula One, doesn't matter if it's for F2, doesn't matter if it's any other small formula, going back even to karting, our days of karting, Billy, where that was still the case even back then. So that's where they learn that skill set from those very young, early karting days. And then it's still there when they get to Formula One, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, from from my side, from driving as well, like you say, sometimes when you're feeling the most comfortable in the car and then you come back after a, a qualified run and you look at the timesheets and you think, oh, that was on fire i was on rails there and you come back look at the timesheets look keep looking down keep looking down going what's going on why am i not fast i feel comfortable with a car everything feels like it's happening the right way for me but sometimes being comfortable isn't quick you know so sometimes you have to live on that edge and maybe put yourself in a position where you know you feel like too much is going on but you know sometimes it, it's the faster way to do it yeah it is and talking of comfort mercedes-benz they don't seem very comfortable, do they, at all? They definitely seem to be on, on the back foot. Maybe they got a bit closer towards the end of that that testing Bahrain, but I think fundamentally, I think if you sort of listen to what Lewis has said, read a bit of the body language, I think they're a bit disappointed with the, with the speed that that Mercedes has got at the moment because I think they expected a big jump forward. I think it's better, but everybody else has gone better. Like the Red Bull, they've improved, and that's where it's going to be thoroughly interesting to see exactly what they're able to achieve this week this weekend but i think billy i think they're gonna they're gonna find it tough look at what you think yeah i think that's the the reality of formula one isn't it you've got hundreds of people back in the factory every team has that are working on making their car better for the next year and even if you get faster yourselves and you feel like you know you've got more downforce this should make the car better doesn't mean that the other teams haven't out improved you and you know made up that gap and maybe got in front of you in the pecking order so pre-season gives us a little bit of that indication but realistically it's it's down to um down to the qualifying itself 
It's obviously last year at Mercedes, Lewis and George, you know, George was the new kid on the block in Mercedes. He had a pretty good rookie season, it's fair to say. Outscored Lewis on points across the whole season. Do you think that sort of there's going to be a different dynamic at Merck there? You know, they've obviously had a frustrating start to the year, like we said in pre-season. It doesn't look like they're going to be fighting for victory straight off the bat. But do you think that's going to be something that plays on someone like Lewis's mind? Do you think he's going to be pretty good at, you know, blocking that out and doing the job? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'll come to me in a minute. I'm going to throw it back to you. You were teammates. What was he like? George. What's George like as a teammate? Very, very professional. It was staggering to me when I was teammates with him, particularly in go-karting, when I was younger than him, but we were 13, 14 years old. So still at that point, you know, you look around the paddocks after the the racing's finished and go-karts, you know, a lot of people are, you know, out on scooters, messing around. And George still had fun and he did that, but he was very, like, measured in his approach from, like, the early years. He was quite quickly someone that I looked up to because you know at that point when I was 13 14 I'd started to think that you know this motorsport racing could be a career for me an actual career you know it could hold be something where that Formula One dream could be a possibility and that's what I was chasing and moving up a category being teammates with George he was in his second year quite quickly I was just like this kid is just this, pretty much the same age as me and he's just got his mind focused on the job and like everything else all the other distractions, they're there. He took part in them, but he wasn't like forgetting about racing in the evenings and kind of just being a kid. It was like, it was still, you could see ticking over in his mind. So I think that was, for me was like the most memorable thing about George from being teammates with him was just his approach. And I think you see that now with the way he comes across in interviews and, you know, the difficulties he had to deal with last season being Lewis Hamilton's teammate. I mean, that a job no one really wants in that paddock because I mean he's a seven-time world champion for a reason and obviously dealing with the whole issues they had with their car at the start of the year I think he just kept his head cool focused on the job like he usually does and uh, yeah I was super impressed with him when I was teammates against him I beat him on a few occasions so I can still hold that one in uh, my back pocket but yeah he was consistent he didn't have many off days george no i've, I've beaten him uh Binley, on a double decker bus no nice. that's probably about as good as it's got for me <laughs> you're right it's funny isn't it how even at that young age you were able to see that and that's something that's really allowed him to get to the position that he's in at the moment he's going to be a tough one for lewis to go able to beat him this year because yeah. i think what happened last year where where george generally was sort of faster that's only going to get more difficult for Lewis this year because I think he's going to be faster than he was last year just because he's got more confidence of that season he had last time around. So so it's brilliant for us to see exactly what he will do. And I hope he does. And I think he will. And hopefully he gets himself in a position that like, someone gives him the right car to win races and, and go for a world championship. Deserves it already. Johnny in F1 at the minute. I feel like we've got some real characters in and amongst the grid. I mean, you've still got, you know, Fernando Alonso moving teams to Aston Martin and that whole process in sort of, you know, being the old maestro and still, you know, being on top form. But also you've got completely different characters that love doing things outside of the sport. Now you've got Yuyuki Sonodas, who's always a bundle of joy to, you know, see doing his interviews. He always comes out with some memorable lines. Um, have you got a favourite on the grid at the minute, Johnny? You got anyone that you know rooting for this year? Maybe one of the new rookies? Yeah, well, the, the guy that I like, to be honest, and I like what he does 
it's outside the cockpit as well, which is a lot to do with social media stuff. He really does a lot of work on doing that. It's Lando. I really do like the way he sort of embraces what's happening when he gets in the car. He embraces this modern social media world that we, that we have to engage in, something I haven't done probably over the last couple of years, but I am going to engage in it much, much more. But he's fun as well. You know, he's got always got that sort of little chuckly sort of laugh that he's got at the same time. He's proved a point uh, at McLaren. He's done a fantastic job, especially against Daniel Ricciardo, a man that we all know was mighty quick uh, in his day. But for whatever reason, he wasn't able to get comfortable in the McLaren. But Lando, again, was always comfortable, got the best out of the car. Yeah, Piastri, he's obviously uh, the new kid on the block. He's got a, a mega track record. You know, it's easy for me to list off his achievements, yeah. but Formula 3 champion, Formula 2 champion, you know, a huge pedigree. A lot of people in those support paddocks, I know, rate him pretty highly amongst the people to be promoted to, to Formula 1. I heard someone comparing him to being on Charles Leclerc's level at that stage in his career. So, I mean... You know, big praise for Piastri. Just talking about Lando again, obviously I've recently actually had the chance to speak to him pre-season out in Bahrain, yeah. uh, talking a little bit about the season coming up. And he seemed in, in great spirits. He seemed really up for the season. I could tell that straight away. I think he's relishing the new role, you know, leading a team. Because, you know, as much as he was the sort of the best, the being able to get the best out of the car last year and outperform Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo's got, so much experience that you'd always say that, you know, he's going to contribute massively to the team. But it does feel like to me now, Lando's leading the way over at McLaren. I don't think, you know, pre-season went well for them, if they're completely honest. Zach Brown has already come out and sort of said that they didn't meet, meet their expectations. The car isn't quite where they want it to be. And it does feel like Lando's in a bit of a tricky situation in a lot of ways, because he's with McLaren. He's done so well in the sport. You know, he's like, on everybody's list for like the potential big teams in the, that are running at the front at the minute, like your Red Bulls, Ferraris, they'll be definitely looking at how he gets on. But he's got a long contract at McLaren, and they're not exactly setting world alight for him at the minute. Have you ever been in that sort of situation yourself, Johnny, where you're kind of you know with a team and you're thinking, you know, the grass looks a bit greener over there. Maybe I should have a look, but you're stuck in a situation where you can't get out. Yes, uh, that was when I was at Lotus. So what I do hope, and we see it sort of quite often nowadays, there's clauses. So I hope there's a performance clause for Lando. And that is something that there, the, the right moment comes up where if it's not quite working out and he has got that chance of being able to, to move to another team if that window happens, that would be the best scenario if you do a long-term contract to have an option to get out if the performances are not there. So that's what I hope uh, is, in that, is in that contract. Yeah, I agree. I think nowadays no contract seems to be concrete. You see regularly, you know, drivers switching between teams out of contracts. Gasly's gone to, to Alpine, you know, for this season and got out of his contract. Well, Piastri had his issues, didn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah with Alpine. Yeah. <laughs> that that was a little bit of drama last season with Piastri's contract. Big drama. I feel like that's still going to be lingering in the paddock a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But again, that's again, you've got to be selfish sometimes as a driver. And if you don't feel it's the right place for you, and that opportunity was was there, he knew it was there because he'd obviously been talking to McLaren. You will try and get yourself in that in, into that cockpit, and that's exactly what he did. So Mark Webber, his manager, obviously years of experience, was there to manoeuvre it, uh, and I hope it works out for him. Like you said. When you look at what he's done in his career, Billy, it's mighty impressive. 
is a bit of a bang, bang, bang. He doesn't sort of wait for it to uh, to sort of eventually come. He sort of gets on with it and does the job. So be excited. Another exciting one to watch. Yeah. Well, whilst we're on, obviously talking about Piastri, let's do a little bit of a quick fire. You know, we've got three new rookies for this season. You've got Piastri, Sargent, Nick De Vries, who obviously stepped in at, for Alex yeah. Albon at Monza last year and delivered when it counted and and earned his chance. How do you think they're all going to fare? Like just pre-season expectations for the rookies, where they're going to rank in amongst everyone else? Yeah, well, Nick de Vries, I think, is the one who, again, for do his career, he just sort of won those championships, many, many championships over his very young, young career. And I think he, when he without the, it's one of those things, Billy. I mean, you, you'll know this, and everybody else is when you get an opportunity like he did, you've got to grab it by the horns. And he certainly did that. And just purely on that one race, suddenly everybody was talking about him. No, he definitely wasn't the hottest kid on the block, was he? No. And that's where it changes. And then Logan Sargent. Yeah, well, I remember watching him in uh, Formula 3. And I remember him sort of coming through uh, and then getting himself into Formula uh, Formula 2. And he's got he's got the skill set. Um, but I think he's got to prove that he can have that skill set every single weekend and every time he gets in the car because I think that's where it's going to be interesting for him because Albon is obviously sort of very secure uh, in, in the Williams team um, and it's going to be a tough thing for him to be able to get on top of Alex who I think has matured over the last couple of years. But again, it'll just be interesting to see. He's got what it takes. Can he actually apply it? This weekend, we're going to have to wait and see. It's a track he's, he knows. It's not a track that he's going to with only a couple of laps, similar to laps, yes. But he's done F2 there. So that's obviously a positive thing for him. Yeah, I think for Logan, I know uh, his trainer at the minute, Benny, actually used to train me after my accident. So yeah. I know his trainer pretty well. I know he's had a busy off-season. He's been you know, really getting himself up to up to speed with the world of Formula 1. You know, physically, it's at another level from Formula 2. So... It seems like, from what I've heard, he's been putting in the hard yards to work over the winter, and I guess we'll find out quite shortly about what that translates to actually behind the wheel itself. And then let's talk about, obviously, this is the first episode pre-Bahrain, the race weekend. Let's get our predictions out there, Johnny. I mean, we won't hedge any bets against each other or anything like that, mate. Oh, I won't hold oh, you to on. it. Come on. Well, all right, okay. Maybe a sneaky five will go on this <laughs> bet then, but what's, what's your top three predictions? I don't, I'm, I'm going to go Max, Char and Carlos. I reckon the Ferraris might be sort of be able to do a, a double pony. Okay, all right. I'm, you? I'm going to go a bit out there. I think I'm not going to go out there with who wins. We're gonna. I'm going to go with Max to win because I think Red Bull looks strong. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for a Red Bull one-two. But my third place finisher, I'm going Fernando Alonso. I think you beat me to and it. Aston Martin. Yeah, might nip in there. Yeah, I think they're a dark horse. They're a green horse. Green horse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're you're right. Now they surprised. Many a people, and this may be. I hope it is. Fernando, unfortunately, over his career, has made quite a few boo boos yeah. with this decision making of joining teams, and they haven't quite worked out. Not all gone to plan. This one doesn't seem to be a bad choice at the moment. It really does seem to be that they've really got a car that can possibly, like you say, Billy, challenge for that uh, that podium. So I hope it does. It'd be lovely to have another team mixing it with, as we always say, the top three teams. But you're right. I think Aston look very good as well. I'll be getting Stroll back as well. It's a shame if he missed that first race as well. Yeah, it'd be a shame if, if Lance misses out on that. Obviously, Drogovic filled in for him in pre-season testing and 
everything from his side of things went pretty smoothly. There wasn't too many, you know, mistakes being made on display. So if he gets that opportunity, Johnny, like you said about, you know, Nick DeVries last year, he's just got to seize it with both hands, hasn't he? And really prove what he's, what he's capable of doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's all the talking done really for pre-season, mate. We've made our predictions, you know, hedged our bets. And now it's time for the first race of the new F1 season. So we'll be back with you after that first race in Bahrain. So if you've got any questions for us, please get in touch with them. You know, let us know what you want to know from me and Johnny, our own experiences as drivers, anything to do with the world of Formula One. We're here for it. We are. You can get in touch with us across all social media on at LiftTheLidPod. Yeah, the social media. Email at LiftTheLidPodcast at gmail.com. Let me finish. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting into it, Billy. I'm getting into it, finally. I think you nailed it, mate. Yeah, I think we're all good with that, actually. I hope so. Yeah, that was take 10. Thanks for listening. This is SBX Studios and Sightbox London production. Executive producers, Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. And next week, guys, not only will we be doing another episode just like this, but we'll be doing a fan-led episode. So get your questions in to at LiftTheLidPods and, uh, yeah, share with us what you want to know about the world of Formula One. We're going to have some fun, Billy. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll expect that fiver paid promptly when my prediction comes through. <laughs>